All right, folks, welcome to the Monsters Madness and Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Justin, here with a quick word before we dive in. Now, in this episode, I chat with actor Brian Krause about demonic cats, witches, ghosts, method acting, charmed, Stephen King, sleepwalkers, and more. As always, thank you for listening, and if you'd like to help the show grow, please leave us a review wherever you're listening to the podcast. Anyway, without further ado, here you go. your comrade, the Crypt Keeper here, reporting dead from the sanctuary of the strange. Tonight's macabre myth is a fright-filled feature, one overflowing with monsters, madness, and magic. Take us back in time. You're a youngster. Are you a book reader, fort builder, troublemaker, or all of the above? Well, probably troublemaker, fort builder. I didn't quite read enough, and maybe that's why I'm an actor. I was definitely outdoors a lot. We lived pretty close to the woods, and we'd take our little bikes down there and make jumps and <laughs> try to catch pollywogs and put them in a jar. And so, yeah, I wasn't the best reader growing up. I guess more, I, I definitely liked a little more fiction than the nonfiction. <laughs> so, you know, I can relate. That, that led me into acting. <laughs> and whereabouts did you grow up? I grew up in Southern California, about an hour south of LA, an hour north of San Diego, uh, Orange County, inland Orange County. Were your parents involved in the business at all? They weren't. My dad worked for what's called the Fleur Corporation. My mother worked for our neighborhood. Each neighborhood around us kind of had a HOA. They paid for these, you know, the trash, the pool, and there was tennis courts and stuff. And she just worked there and like kind of became the uh, town mom in a way at the, the place. What records are playing around the house when you're growing up? What, what music are your parents playing? And what do you, when you venture off into your own thing, what do you listen to? You know, my mom had quite a collection. I actually have a bunch of her LPs here. And she, she had a bunch of classical music and show tune music from the 30s and 40s. Wow. And, you know, then a lot of 50s, you know, she had the whole Elvis collection and, and that sort of thing. And so that would get played. And my dad was, he didn't really, he worked all the time. So there wasn't a lot of time spent hanging out with him. It was, but what it was, you know, it was, it was the latest, I guess, pop you would have called at the time in the early 70s, you know, the, the Neil Diamond, uh, <laughs> you know, the whole bit. And so into the 80s, you know, my brother kind of became, he fell in with, kind of a heavy metal, Def Leppard, Aussie, Black Sabbath crew. And I was off listening to Weird Al Yankovic on Sunday <laughs> nights and recording it on my phone and playing it back and singing Fish Heads. And then that led me into just, I'd listen to dance music. So I got into, you know, the Michael Jackson. Mm. I was playing the saxophone at the time. So I started listening, you know, so a little more jazzy dance stuff, which then got me into like madness and go-go's anything with kind of music. And I've kind of fell into the more, you know, Bowie kind of dancey, arty thing. And, you know, it was tough growing up with my brother, a big brother, <laughs> all his friends were heavy metal, bro. <laughs> you know, and they're like, you're a dance jerk. Like, I'm like, I'm like, that's right. <laughs> you know, so. Was sax your first instrument? Uh, my fr well, with a recorder, I think, like everybody. Oh, yeah. And then I played the cello in fifth and sixth grade. And so my first time really on stage was sixth grade Christmas performance at the mall. 
Right. And I, I mean, you're nervous as hell and you're a tuxedo and the thing. And I had like this three bar solo. Yeah. I think it was <laughs> the chase, you know, da, na, 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 na. Mm -hmm. And at the very beginning, it starts with the cello going da, na, 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 na. And then everybody kind of kicks in. So I had to play that knowing, you know, the only thing heard is going to be me playing these four notes. <laughs> ah! I'm dealing with nerves, I guess. Yeah. Did uh, it go off a lot of hits? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I still think about it when I'm in the shower. <laughs> but, you know, and that helps going forward. Like if I'm ever nervous, I'm like, I don't know that I'll ever be that nervous. So. Yeah, for real. So, Ryan, when, when you think back to formative films and TV shows that you grew up on, what comes to mind initially? What, Robert Redford and then John Wayne. John Wayne was on all the time uh, watching westerns. And then my parents used to watch uh, Masterpiece Theater, a lot of old English movies, uh, a lot of Cary Grant and kind of old Hollywood movies, you know, and then it rerun television through the 80s, you know, uh, Gilligan's Island, Happy Days, <laughs> that type of thing. Yeah, so, but looking at, like, film-wise, I think what attracted me into film, watching old Hollywood movies, westerns, really kind of played a, a heavy influence on, you know, what I wanted to do. Uh, of course, then I wind up being on basically Gilligan's Island. <laughs> 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 but I love it! <laughs> Do you remember the first movie you ever saw in theaters? Yeah, the first one we saw was Robin Hood. It was a, a cartoon version at a drive-in. I don't even know what was before it, but I, I mean, I remember going to it and they're just being so kind of like, wow, you know, not just on my box at home, but it, they make this bigger? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And then one of the first movies, I, I don't know which came out first, if it was Grease or Star Wars, probably all around the same time, right? I remember standing in line for Star Wars, being blown away, uh, and then Grease coming out soon after that was, you know, big summer thing, and I think we watched it four times in one day. We snuck in, you know, just kept sneaking in to watch it again, and then and then went back the next day and did it again. It was definitely a social thing to do, and and definitely uh, transformative as far as how the culture changed coming out of that. You know, now yeah. we're all. Now we're all pshum, 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 we got light. To be a part of that was amazing. You said you were into dance, but were you ever? Did you have any interest in theater back then? Were you a drama kid? I wasn't a drama kid. Dance from ska kind of thing and punk a bit, and then you know I got into break dancing and you know that sort of thing, and that was short lived for sure. But when drama, when I finally started taking drama, I started in well eighth grade, middle mm. school, and, and then high school had the big theater. And but I was trying to play soccer and be an athlete and to do both would have been really difficult. So I was in the play, but I was never the lead. I was like porting or cat, uh, part of the crew more than anything. So do you have a eureka moment you can point to? Maybe a play, a performance, or something that made the light bulb go off and you thought, you know, that's what I want to do. That's for me. So from middle school to high school and how I got into it, I like I found my way into drama because I was running from this kid that wanted to beat me up. And anyway, I found myself in drama. So when I got into my freshman year, sophomore year, I did like this little one act and I won like a small little award. And my mom's like, you should do this. And I'm like, you know, so I started taking some commercial workshop classes and some different things. And then I started a place called the Actors Workshop, ran by Bob Adams, a longtime actor and great actor. And he kind of took me under his wing when I was 16. And as a mentor, he was somebody who told me, you know, to be an actor, you have to believe, you have to have confidence and you have to be yourself and you have to believe in yourself. And he would have the class and he would almost just look right at me. You know, everybody in the class is in their 20s or 30s. And, you know, there I was. And he kind of molded me in a way and he just kind of always said every, every time I was there, it's like, you can do anything you set your mind to. Said, you know, you got to be a train going downhill with no brakes. You believe, <laughs> don't stop. You just believe, believe, believe. And so as he start, kept putting that in there, I started seeing my future as try to play soccer to get to college, do commercials and films and stuff on the side, and, you know, maybe get into sports medicine or something. And there was somewhere in there, he's like, you know, I just figured at some point I was going to try this. 
And it was my, I think my senior year at high school, we got a new drama teacher and, you know, somewhere, I don't even know where I said, I'm going to star in a feature film. Like I'm, I'm going to, it's going to be starring Brian Krause someday. And, and she was going around asking kids and brand new drama coach. And so nobody liked her, right? <laughs> they hated her. As, you know, it wasn't the teacher that's been there for 20 years. And so she went around and asked everybody why they were in drama. Why, why did you sign up for this class in high school, right? Of course, what's the answer? Why does everybody sign up? A, <laughs> yes. it's the easiest A in school. So and that was most people. Then, you know, the surfer dude in the back's like, uh, to meet chicks, bro, you know, <laughs> the whole bit. And, and they came to me and I don't know, out of nowhere, I just said, I'm going to star in a feature film someday. And that's why I'm here. And, you know, everybody laughed and I couldn't believe I said it, but I said it. And, you know, she kind of pulled me aside. We talked about it a little bit later. And I don't know that I had even really committed to it because I wound up doing a year of community college and still trying to follow this idea that I could play soccer somehow. And it wasn't until I realized my grades and how much schooling and how <laughs> good at soccer I was that I, I made the decision to take this acting thing that I was kind of doing on the side and, and make it really, I made up my mind, I'm doing this. You know, got new headshots and a whole thing and said, let's go. The resume and just started knocking on doors, dropping off my headshot. And I, I was lucky I broke through really quickly. It was like within six months. It was like, okay, here we go. It was lucky start in that respect. Well, prior to all this, what was your first job? Did you have a paper route? I had a paper route. <laughs> we also started, we, me and neighborhood friend created a lawn mowing and car washing business <laughs> that'll get you paid in the summer oh it got us paid until we you know we were trying to break all the other kids deals so right so now we're washing and waxing it for five bucks right we got so many orders we just the business didn't last very long <laughs> I think the first real job from there was actually in a movie theater. Worked there for six months and then wound up at a pizza joint. You know, when your parents always ask, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up? I had very high expectations for myself. I always wanted to work in a video store. As a kid, you know, that's the coolest thing that I could think of. Start small, but someday, blockbuster. <laughs> Rest in peace. Or Hollywood video. I'm making it. <laughs> What's her touch on several projects, I'm sure, but you've worked in TV and film. Do you have a preference between the two? Is there any major differences for you as an actor? There's no major differences when it comes down to between action and cut. I think with a feature film, generally, like back in the day, we had so much time to film the project. So it was, you had time to prep, you had time to get into it, you had time to rehearse, you, you just had time, which built for better storytelling and, and what you wind up getting. And TV, you know, it's just much faster. You get the pages, you got a day, two days. So hopefully you already know your character and what you're doing. You know, the pace of TV is fun and the pay is great and it feels like a regular job you know I, I do love the idea of film and always playing something different and telling this one story it's kind of like once upon a time this happened whereas television is we're gonna give you this block of whatever time frame that might be right a show like charm who knows it eight seasons eight years almost and some shows law and order I mean it's it's obviously going along with the years that we are so I like that pulling it out piece of time with film. It's always been said, you know, with film, you need to be real. It's a it's a real tree. It's a real ocean. It's a real thing. Be a real human. And television's always been a little smaller box, project. And then with theater, there seems to be a little bit difference with every genre of how one would perform. Everyone has their own technique of how to get there. I tried to do it all different, you know, like, oh, what do I got to do different? And then I just found at the end of the day, it's, it's comes whether you're on a film or stage or whatever it is, that it's all the same once they call action. You have to believe in the moment, no matter how ridiculous it is. If it's if you're killing some sci-fi dragon or you're crying over, you know, whatever it is, it's believing in the moment at that moment. It doesn't matter the process or what genre. It all is the same once they say action. Right. You know, I speak with a lot of actors and I always ask, what does method acting mean to you? And what is your method? Because you get a different answer every time as to what someone views it as you know i'll ask you the same thing what is that to you and what is your method i mean method acting to me has always kind of been described as 
thinking about something that's happened to you before and feeling a piece of that past and then wanting to really feel the reality of it, conjuring something from the past. And to me, that didn't leave a lot of room to be in the moment if I was living a moment I lived 10 years ago and drawing from that. So my method would be like understanding what I felt before and what that moment might have been like and how vulnerable I might have felt or whatever. And I do, I'm one of those actors like, okay, I'm supposed to be tied up and the camera shot's only up here to my neck, but you know, I'm not in flip flops and whatever. I'm like, no, 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 man, tie me up. Like I wanna, I wanna feel as much as I can, you know? And I've had other actors like, no, look, just I can act it. And I've gone between a little bit of both you know, my method is definitely, I want to create the reality as much as possible. I don't go off the deep end and pull from, I, I wouldn't say that I'm sitting on the set. I think every actor has to understand what's required in the scene and, and of yourself and what you're trying to get. But you don't want to lose the organic process of what may happen. And if you're off thinking about something else, you're, you're not in the moment. So, you know, I have a process of kind of gearing myself up, knowing where I'm going to get to. You know, I've tapped that in in the morning. I know it, you know, sometime today we're going to get there. So I, I try not, I just put it aside until we're up, we rehearse, the lights are going, and then it's like, all right, you know, kind of meditating into a feeling in a way, mm. and then just reacting to what's in front of me. I don't, I'm, I'm, I, I keep trying trying and learning and, and reading and listening to more actors and how they talk about getting there or whatever. You know, I, I was struck by something De Niro even said, I, I don't know when he said it, but they were asking about how he, you know, getting angry and having these, you know, intense scenes as he has and how his process, and he goes, look, I know it's coming, but I can't be angry all day. And I was like, oh, that's a, such a good point because I will, I've, I've been like, oh, I'm supposed to be depressed later. So nobody talked to me. <laughs> It's like you can't carry it all day, you know, and then once you get there, maybe you've burned out, you've overdone it. So a big part of me has kind of learned to step back and, you know, kind of save myself for the moments, you know, and I would imagine it's the same for a surgeon. It's the same for a musician or anybody or you got to save your, you know what you have to do. You prepared, but you know that you got to be ready for anything when it comes time to actually do it. You gotta let go of everything else in between and just know that you trust that you've done your work and go be in it, whatever that means, right? Well said, and I spoke with um, Armin Shimmerman not long ago, and he said there's only been one case in his career, but it has happened to him, where he didn't remember the performance itself where he was on stage. He has a hard time recalling the actual, the physicality of the play while he remembers the set changes and the costume changes. He doesn't remember the actual play. Has that ever happened to you where you just go in a zone and blank out? I mean, that's the dream spot to be, that I, I don't really remember what I did. Many a time a director's like, hey, do that thing that you did with your hand and your, and your face and your turn and how you did. I'm like, what did I do? Like, <laughs> you know, once you, because in life, we're not totally conscious of what our face looks like or how we think or, you know, when you're, our t attention is within our thought and communicating and the other person our surroundings. And the trouble for actors is that I must say my line that I remember and hit this mark and stand on, you know, so we're, we're way too self-aware. So to not remember means, you know, you've lost your own self-awareness in a way and you were in it. You were, you were just living it. And I think that it's definitely too easy to be aware of everything and what you're doing and there's a camera you know a foot from your face and there's people walking by sipping coffee texting on their phone and, <laughs> you know it's it, it takes a lot and and you know to hear that is like yeah, yeah great actors do it all the time for sure just speaking on scripts for a second just as someone who's had a shit ton of scripts in their hand what are some indicators that jump off the page to you that you got a good one it's not full of dialogue it's it's describing and you're getting feelings and emotions in a sentence, in a line, in a paragraph. So that's kind of the immediate, you know, obviously everybody says first team pages have to grab your attention. So beyond that, let's say it has, and you're you're getting into the rest of it, you know, story structure, everything, what it's about. And, and I think one that's full of dialogue when I see heavy, and now I know, listen, this is probably a television movie. I know what that is. It needs a lot of dialogue. It's what it is. But on a feature film, you know, a really good one, a lot less dialogue and moments that you just wouldn't think of like, oh, you know, here's a movie. 
it, this is the scene that's next. And it's like, maybe it's dialogue that has actually nothing to do with the story, but through the way they've written, they'll say, oh, but it's from a wide lens as the sky slowly does something. And it kind of says something more to the feeling of the story and what the feeling you're going to get as opposed to what the actor is saying. It's not what the actor's saying, it's the overall picture. So one, one that paints this picture of maybe the lighting will be this way, this is the mood, the, the, the sound comes in as we pull out and the thunder roars. It's leaving you an emotional feeling not based on dialogue. Reading a story based on these feelings that the writer's taking you through, which are directions and openness for a director that can then tell a story. And that's the finished picture. You know, one that can write the finished picture, not just the dialogue that all your cool characters are gonna say. That's kind of what I look for. Let's talk Sleepwalkers. Was that a typical audition for you? Right place, right time situation? lucky guy that I could even audition for that. Maybe not a lot of people understand it. You know, to go, to be able to audition for a Stephen King movie, Sleepwalkers, I wasn't necessarily a guy off the street or had just done a couple things. So I, I had just the year previously start opposite Mila Jovovich in Return to the Blue Lagoon, which is a big studio movie. And it just brings you, if this is all the actors, right? You can't audition thousands and thousands, so casting directors will come in and go, okay, out of these hundred, and then out of those hundred, the studio says, all right, well, these 25, and then out of these 25, one studio head said, well, one of these five. So then one of those five are gonna either get an offer or an audition, or both. And then it'll go down to the 25, then it goes down to the hundred, then it goes out. So luckily enough, I was one of those top 25 or 50 or whatever they got to audition put me in the right spot to be able to even have the audition so once crazy to me but luckily i got it and you know it was it was just a regular thing but the final callback i'll never forget the night before i was living with uh, jason london if you know jason from million things and we were crazy roommates and we lived on this second floor which is it was like three floors up and we were like, oh man, you know, oh, oh, Stephen King and, uh, and the cats. And, you know, I'm hanging out with a couple other guys and they're all like, oh, and we're all like, okay, come, come down, come down, come down. Okay, no, you're going to kill. That night, like I had to be across town at like 11 or 12, whatever. But I'm going to bed and it's late and we're, we've, it's going to, and out of the blue, man, this cat starts going, like all night long like just outside my bedroom window i'm freaking out i go get jason i'm like dude he's like dude you're gonna get the movie i'm like dude shut up what is that like dude you're haunted man this thing on you it's you're in i was like shut up shut up we didn't sleep all night went in the next day and you know, got lucky i don't know I'd, and never heard that cat again since then. I, I've since learned it's like a cat in heat doing their thing. <laughs> was Mick Garris involved in the auditions process at all? Was he there? He was there. Yeah, he was. And then I went back and he was there the day I did a test. And I tell you, for me, I was so, maybe call it, you know, what is it, ignorantly blissful. It's like, I didn't realize, you know, where where I was or what I was doing, right? And and had no, I'm just this kid off the, you know, tennis court in Orange County, like, whoa, I could do anything. <laughs> I was definitely the greenest person in the room. And, mm. and for him to just take me under his wing like he did and vote of confidence was, I mean, he's such an amazing human being. Beyond his cameo, when Stephen King was there, did he offer any, you know, Obviously, he's not going to, you know, insert himself. But did he? Did Mick ask him if he had, if you had advice? You know, would you ask him, or did he give any any input? I never got to meet him. Ah, shit. We were doing that uh, scene. I somewhere where because there's so much stuff between them and then Machen doing her own thing and the, the the cops showing up and all. There was a good week where I wasn't needed. So Sony, Columbia at the time, decided it was a good time to send me on a publicity tour. So they sent me to New York to do some publicity. King flew in, did his part. I fly back. They go home. 
Shit. Have you met him since then? No. A man. <laughs> no con or nothing. That's crazy. Dude, not at a con or nothing. I've seen Mick, of course, but yeah, Machen, but Ron Perlman, but no. How much of the actual cat transformation was practical? It was, it was all practical. Yeah, there was no CGI. These guys, I think it's Tony Gardner, did our makeup. They, what they created was nothing short of amazing. I mean, it's art. And, you know, the blending and, and then, of course, you know, with a good director of photography and the way they light it and, you know, the angles that mix sets, it just, you know, it's as good as it gets. You know, obviously now they can add to it and post, but we were just the infancy of doing any sort of post painting of actors or you know even morphing at that point was you know a, it was brand new so to go in and actually change the appearance of someone i you had to do it all practical at that point were you a fan of stephen king at all obviously you want to get the part but did you were you reading any of his work or i, I was i mean I, I i'm not into total total scary movies but you know there were a few that i i definitely liked i like when the machines come came together and Emilio Estevez running around and you know that whole thing and obviously saw Carrie growing up Cujo and understood the genre I hadn't read any uh, books at that point talked about my book reading <laughs> <laughs> those three movies I had definitely seen I think it was either later that year or the next year from Sleepwalkers that you worked on Tales from the Crypt is that right it would have been gosh was that before or after it was right in the same yes yeah, According to IMDb, it's like right in the, it's either uh, Sleepwalkers is 93 and that's 94. Right. So we filmed 1991. We filmed Sleepwalkers in 91. It came out in 92. Yep. 92. You're right. So then I don't know Tales. So we filmed in 91. So I don't know when Tales from the Crypt was, but right in that time. What what are your memories of that set? Did you have a good time? I had a great time. <laughs> uh, I mean, those, those the people we had in that show. I mean, come on, Dylan. I mean, man, so many people went on to have amazing careers. Bob Gale to meet him and do that, and uh, you know, again, green and rookie didn't understand where I was at and who I was around, and you know, just kind of having a good time, thinking it would never end. Like this is how it is, right? Like that worked to your benefit. I I mean, I. I to a point i guess maybe having being a little more aware of where i was at i who knows if helpful or not but that was really fun because i i grew up watching tales from the crypt and <laughs> the whole bit so you know it was it was for me to go back to el toro where i grew up and see my buddies and be like yeah you know it was that was pretty cool Brian, I think you joined Charm on the third episode, I believe, and end up obviously being one of the longest running characters on the show. How did that one happen for you? Was it, you know, typical just like the others? There was no cats involved. (laughs) Man, you know, so after Sleepwalkers, the film career didn't just jump off. I had made not great decisions perhaps and whatever and anyway i was up and down so i did a soap even for six months uh, another world which was amazing experience and then i got let go off of there and you know was, i was kind of in a point in my life where i just didn't know what was going to happen i had a two-year-old baby at home and a wife that was like how are we making money what are we doing and there was a lot of pressure so i was i was doing construction at the time we were retrofitting houses and doing electrical work and you know whatever just trying to pay the bills and this audition came up for charmed and which i had kind of heard of already and in my circle was shannon and because she was a friend with my i kind of knew she wasn't in my circle and we weren't friends but i i would see her out in this and so i heard and some of the other girls you know you you, you knew that the girls were doing making the show and so it's aaron spelling of course at the time so when the audition came up, I was like, ah, oh, you know, and it was one of those that came about, I got called that morning. So I, I show up at work, I'm in my overalls, I've, I've been under a house already, I'm, I'm dirty, right? It's, it's 11 a.m. and I'm ready to go to lunch and I get a text or not, a page and I got to call my agent back and they're like, hey, you got to make this audition at, you know, 1.30 today. And I'm like, dude, I'm working. Like, I'm like, my wife will kill me if I don't come home with a full $100 today. You know what I mean? And she's like, well, it's for the, and I'm like, oh man. So I tell my guy, hey, listen, I'm going to run over late lunch. I'll be back at two to finish the day. 
So run over there. I don't have a change of clothes. We kind of wipe off, right? <laughs> Luckily, I'm, it's for a handyman. I'm like, oh, great. So, you know, because I had gone and auditioned for Andy, the detective, mm. before a couple of, you know, weeks earlier. So I was like, oh, handyman. Okay, great. I'm Look at me. <laughs> and so I went in. I did it for the casting director. And then she brought me back like half an hour later. They're like, she goes, don't go anywhere. Brings in... I don't know who it was. It, it must. It might have been Brad Kern or Jim Conway, one of one of the producers. Do that session. Walk out, and they're like, "Okay, you're gonna come back at five o'clock tonight uh, and read for Aaron Spelling." And I'm like, "Oh boy, I gotta go back to work." Like, <laughs> what do you mean? Don't go anywhere. Like, oh my god. Now I'm stressing out. So I text my buddy. I'm like, "Dude, listen. I uh, they want me to stay here, and you know." I'm in this position where I've been auditioning a lot and not getting jobs. So, right. well, I'm I'm in like, dude, like, what a waste of my time, right? And it's Aaron who I've been in with who doesn't hire me, and it's just like, what am I doing? You know, I had to weigh this, get in trouble at home or stay. And my buddy's like, dude, I'll cover you. Don't worry about today. You did a good job this morning. You know, you get your pay. I won't tell your wife. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good buddy right there. I was like, bro. <laughs> So I stay, I do it, and so I'm kind of, you know, what am I going to say to Aaron Spelling? I've, I met him when for 90210, I got pretty far in that process. I met him from Melrose Place, I got pretty far in that process. I didn't book, I didn't book, I didn't book, you know, guest spots, guest spots. I've met the, the man maybe 10 times to that point. I would think, right, okay, maybe he'll remember, it's been a minute. So my whole plan was to go in there. Now, when you go in for Aaron Spelling, he has a 20-person couch, in a 5,000 square foot office. And him and all the producers sit on this couch and you stand up on the other side of the room and it's the most terrifying room <laughs> ever auditioned in. So, right? I'm terrified thinking about it. Right, and it's, you know, 25th floor, the big view, the whole bit, right? And it's nerve wracking. So I think, all right, I'm gonna walk in and I'm gonna say, hello, Mr. Spelling. It's great to see you again. How are you, right? Smooth. Right. So that way he's like, oh, great to see me. Great to see you. I'm like, this is my line. This is what I'm doing. This is what, and he's going to remember me. And I'm going to, we're booking this one. I walk in. Hello, everybody. Hello. Oh, Brian, this is Mr. Spelling, Mr. Spelling, Brian Cross. Hello, Mr. Spelling. How are you? It's great to see you again. And he looks at me. He looks up and he looks down at the paper and he goes, oh, hello, Brian. It's nice to meet you. And in that moment, I go, nice to meet me. Nice to meet me. And so everything, I'm now I'm boiling this job. I've just, I'm potentially losing a hundred bucks. The ex-wife, the thing, I'm not working. I'm there, uh -huh, my career, my, and I just, I got, I was raging. Now the audition's like this nice, sweet guy, right? And I'm just like, you know what? Fuck this shit. Oh, are you ready? Any questions? I'm like, no. You ready? Okay. I say, yeah, let's read it. Let's go. Okay. They were kind of surprised. And I just went, blah, 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 blah. And I looked at him, I'm like, anything else? And they're like, uh, I'm like, okay, thank you very much. And I walked out. <laughs> <laughs> they called me about half an hour later and said, I got it. <laughs> so I'm really confused with how to go forward auditioning ever since then. <laughs> uh, so, you know, and of course, Leo just was never, that wasn't the character. So I don't know what it is, but beyond grateful that the entire show and the run and Aaron Spelling and Duke Vincent every one of the girls that were the charmed ones you know i felt plucked in that moment you know it's it's almost like the hand of god changed my life yeah, charmed was you know that great lineup with buffy and angel and everything just lining up right there throw x-files in there what that late 90s period had all those supernaturally influenced tv shows that were just killing the ratings yeah i mean x-files uh top of the heap there what they did is that that was some good television for sure i wasn't a big fan of the supernatural magic-y world myself as far as what i consumed mm -hmm. definitely fun to play in it you know I, I mean there was a bit of that in sleepwalkers for sure and and to carry it forward it, it kind of fit it's not exactly what i consume but you know i'm a big alien believer so <laughs> You know, X-Files is kind of my shit. Yeah, the truth is out there. But when when you work on something that ends up being like a, you know, culturally special, it's a talking point. Do you have any inkling of that in the moment? Were there any signs now that you look back that this is going to be big? 
I mean, looking back, it's really easy to point to Shannon Doherty and Holly Marie Combs and Alyssa Milano and Aaron Spelling and saying, winner, the writing, a female-led drama, you, you can be different and you can still call anybody your family as long as you have togetherness. Looking back and analyzing what the show was, I get it. At the time of making it, you know, Shannon was very popular at the time, as was Alyssa, and Spelling, you know, seemed to be have the touch of gold. So you kind of knew it was going to run for a little bit. To think that it's been 25 years and it's still on the air two, three times a day yeah. and gaining new fandom is beyond what any of us could have imagined. When the rumblings and the eventual reboot came up, was there any contact with you or any of you guys to... Not with me. I, I know... No, and they did not reach out to the girls. And I don't know if they reached out to Alyssa or Shannon or any of them really directly, but they didn't ask them to be a part of the show, I don't believe, and or have the show or bring them back to kind of hand off to the new squad. It was described, and I know there's been social media fights and gag orders and everything, but it came down to they wanted to make their own version, and this is what they're doing, and it has totally separate from them. And Which, you know, to me, my point of view is, what a compliment to what we did. Yeah. What a compliment to Aaron Spelling, to all the writers, to every actor involved, the stunt people, to, to everybody that made that show. What a compliment. What a compliment to the fandom and continuing on continuing on the story. Even if it didn't involve any of us, here's some more magical world. So it's a compliment to what we all did. To not pull in the girls and... In my sense, it's legitimized the new world. You know, I think the fans would ultimately be appreciative of crossing those two worlds and handing it off. Why they didn't do it, I have no idea. It's, it's the Star Wars thing, you know, like having Luke and Ray, basically. You know, just have Luke there to be, This it's fine to like this person. <laughs> That's know? right. I have one scene at the end. Boom, done. Yeah. Tip the hat. See you later, right? Yeah. It would have been enough. For sure. It's funny because while the show was running, my manager had called me. He's like, hey, I uh, got an audition for you. you know, I'm going to send it over. And it's for Charm, the new Charm. And uh, it's some, and I'm like, oh, is it Leah? I'm like, dude, I can't audition for this. He's like, no, I'm like, dude. He's like, I'm like, no, 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 I'm, I can't audition. For Do they know they're having me come in for this? Like, like there's got to be a cross in the wires. Like, I can't come on as another character. I mean, look, yes, I've aged and I'm wrinkling with it, but. I think the fans are going to know it's me. <laughs> like, did Leo become a demon named Shabraxis? Like, what happened? <laughs> They're going to have to explain this. So he's like, well, maybe, you know, um, I'm like, call them. <laughs> I wonder so if he, they even realize or did you ever hear back about it? No idea. No, they, he's like, okay, you're right. But he called him. He's like, all right. I'm like, thanks. <laughs> But let them know if they want to bring Leo on. <laughs> you touched on several of them. You know, you've worked on a shit ton of TV shows and movies. So out of all of them, which one would you say was the most challenging? Is there one that you lost sleep over? Challenging. I mean, Sleepwalkers was challenging for sure with the, the makeup, the caliber of people I was around. Being the lead of my first, this goal I had set three years earlier, you know, here I am accomplishing it. I think the challenge was is stay humble and do good work. You know, looking back, I, I don't know if I accomplished either one of them, but challenging, I mean, there's been a lot of challenging roles roles as an actor that for me the challenging thing is it being too vulnerable you know anytime i've had to really cry or whatever and, and that definitely came up on charmed a lot you know the heartbreak that our, our piper and leo went through and you know i'm more like say your line and try to be funny or pretend you're a tough guy uh, you know but to cry is uh and to be that vulnerable on you know it's it's one thing to do it people everywhere and everything's looking at you it, it becomes you become very self-aware and and i do and that's always been the most challenging so i know I, probably acting wise some of the most challenging moments were for me ever were on charmed when you know i had to get really emotional with with piper and and still make it believable not like i'm acting this moment and i remember one and i'll say real quick i was with holly Combs, you know, Piper, and, and I'm trying to just be devastated, right? I'm trying to cry. I'm trying, you know, I, I've been thinking about this scene for the week since I got the script, and I'm, and she goes, she goes, Brian, just stop trying to cry. 
try not to cry. And that's kind of the actor trick, right? Is you try just, it's what we do in real life, right? We don't want to cry, so we're doing everything we can not to. And next thing you know, I'm just bawling. And I was like, oh, thanks, Holly. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I've had to do it since, and it's it's something that's really, it's it's a skill that I haven't mastered. What would you say is the best acting advice you've received and who gave it to you? You know, I, I go back to the late Bob Adams from the Actors Workshop and, you know, the one thing that was always ingrained in me is, is be yourself and whatever that is. Yes, your character, your character, your character, you've done all your homework, but when you get in the moment, you must be yourself. You must be in the moment. So that requires listening, listen, 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 and your reaction will come. So that's probably the best advice is just being in the moment. I'm dear friends with Mark Ralston, if you know who Mark is from a million movies, Aliens, Shawshank Redemption. Mm. His list goes on, Departed. Probably one of the greatest actors I know that I'm friends with. He went to school in England and London and been done Shakespeare. And his process is different from mine. And at the same time, do your homework, do your homework, do your homework, do your homework. And some of the best advice I've gotten from him to fellow actors out there when auditioning or when being in it is if you've read the script, you need to read it again read it read it never stop reading it don't perform it don't put anything into it but you need to read it and 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 read it again and read it again and it's not even rehearsing it and rehearsing it again and rehearsing it again who like a lot of actors do and find a million ways to play it but he's found from reading it a thousand times he'll be subconsciously building his character within him and it's disappearing and not to mention he knows every line right he's finding nuance in that and finding more about himself or his mm. character or where it's at and so then when it gets in there he says the same thing he goes all that homework goes out the door and you just believe in the moment and you have to listen and react and and that's kind of the best advice i've ever gotten well said just to put a bow on everything brian this is something i like to ask everybody because you never know what they're going to say <laughs> have you ever had an experience that you would consider supernatural or paranormal Ooh. Hmm. I mean, I, a couple different experiences. Uh, when I was a kid, I, I don't, I mean, it could be nightmares, whatever. But I remember one night, my, and maybe it was a nightmare that I kind of dreamt in my head, but I thought I saw visions in my parents' room. They were on vacation. And, you know, just like you see the cloud dust and the light in the closet and why I close my closet still. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I thought I saw something. I was making a movie called December with Will Wheaton, Balthazar Getty, Jason London, Chris Young, and upstate New York and Ithaca area and Wells College. And it was, Wells is supposedly haunted, the whole Wells family, Wells Fargo, the whole. And there's go like plenty, everybody talks about these ghosts. And we decided to go upstairs with this Ouija board and let's do it. We're going to conjure all, if they're here, we're going to find them. And we're in there doing it. And as we're sitting around, this mattress is leaning up against the wall. Like, no problem, like this painting's leaning up. And we're all, the only people in the attic is right there. And as we're in there doing it, this thing tips over. It didn't slide down as it should. It, something blew it over. And we Scooby-Dooed it, man. <laughs> we were out of there. And none of us wanted to go, like, we, we're out. We're done. We're, we're officially all freaked out. Like, everybody in the house is freaked out. And so the next morning, we're like, dude, we got to go back up there and see, like, how did, how did, and Jason's like, let's go, let's go. And it, you can ask Jason to this day, we go up there, and right where we were sitting are three dead birds. One of them has all its feathers. One of them is, like, just gored apart. Right now, it's not feathers everywhere. It's just kind of like this grosseth. And then there was another one that was just a skeleton. And we were like, okay, cats, rats, we don't freaking know. But we were sitting there last night when all this. Sh and man, <laughs> I have never touched a Ouija board since. I don't want to. I don't mess around with that crap. But let me tell you, I that freaked me. I don't know what that was. I don't know if somebody planted it. Somebody would have. But that. And we don't know how they would have, but it, uh, we still all have questions about that night. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say that counts. Freaky, freaky, freaky. That was freaky. And beyond that, I've always kind of felt a connection. And I, I, don't, I don't know if it's God or a greater power or, you know, like I've had some significant moments where I've had to make, you know, life-altering decisions with 
you know, where I was going in my life. And, you know, good, bad, ugly, dark places, good places, whatever that might be. And it's happened twice, like really significantly, where I, I felt, believe in God or don't, I felt like this this power, this energy, the hand of God, if you will, speak inside of me and help me in making a decision or guiding me whether, you know, not to get too specific, but just being guided in a way that and maybe that's being in tune with my own intuition or right. the voice is all myself, but it, it almost felt out of body where, you know, it was huge moral decisions to be made and, and it's happened twice in my life and, and it's guided me out of insane trouble both times, which, you know, I'm a believer and I'm not in a way, you know, I'm mm. not a Jesus Bible belting whatever, but in a greater power in, in, in a God or gods, if you will, and whatever she, he, they look like. Maybe it's aliens. I don't know. I'm a believer in that, in this supernatural something is out there kind of mm. helping guide all of us. If we can have be in tune with it, it's there. It's real. And, you know, I, I've definitely had some I've had some interesting moments where I, I feel like, you know, the decision wasn't mine and whatever was happening was out of my hands. And that's why I always ask that question. You just never know what people have experienced or what their beliefs are. And it's always very interesting to hear. I mean, I, I kind of pose the same question back to you. Know, we've been writing about magic. People often ask me if I believe in magic because I was uncharmed. And, you know, it's like magic's been around since man has. You know, the idea that there's something off this planet or a god or a creator has been around since man has. People have written about it, talked about it, made plays about it, cried about it, laughed about it, fought wars over it. So to just say it does, something doesn't exist is almost foolish right there is something just nobody has proof of any of it but so many billions of us have actually had experiences whether it's ghosts whether it's whatever it is guidance whatever of something unexplainable you know who knows maybe we're coming towards contact here pretty soon i don't know you just went through it it's it's since the it's the history of humans really so i think it has a lot to do with us right you know, we have to be involved if you don't believe you're not going to experience anything so that sort of thing we're the circuit is what i think right and i, I don't know that, that you know that doesn't mean you have to be a believer in jesus or right or right you're right that or run down the list of names of religions <laughs> but it's beyond religion it we all kind of have this conduit to yeah, something I, I just look at it as like an innate curiosity i'm just open and i hope something's out there i'd like to see it or meet it or talk to it or something right? <laughs> hopefully it doesn't eat me right <laughs> and if it did you know that'd be a fitting in for me no cooler Whoa. way to go <laughs> yeah better than a bear right well, Brian, I don't have anything else for you, man. I, I thank you. And just to put a, a, a bow, a period on anything, is there anything on the, on the horizon for you that you can share without getting in trouble? We, my Holly Marie Combs, Drew Fuller, who played my son on Uncharmed, uh, and myself uh, started a rewatch podcast of Charmed called The House of Halliwell. So on all platforms, HOH, House of Halliwell. And we started from season one going all the way, watching every episode. We're, we've had guests on uh, from Danielle Harris this next week, Lachlan Monroe. And we've had some great actors awesome. guests starred on the show and some producers, writers. And we're just going episode to episode. And it's been really fun for me because I've never watched the show <laughs> completely. So it's it's I'm watching it for the first time. And it's it's been a blast. And then currently, I just had two movies release on uh, streaming platforms, one called Homestead, one called Breakout. Breakout with someone who was on Charmed as well, Louis Mandalore, and it's a prison break movie. I play this crazy former ex-cop explosives demolition expert who's mad at the universe, and I'm breaking out. Louis Mandalore is there to stop me, and it's really fun, action-packed. Uh, Brandon Slagle directed. It's it's a good one. Uh, Sizemore's last appearance. Oh. And- uh, and he's fantastic again. And Homestead was my first attempt at doing something in the Western period. And that's with Jamie Bernadette. And there's a few young actors in there that are just kind of breaking through that are going to be awesome. So those just came out. I got to be, if you know Corin Nemec, uh, so Corky, Corin Nemec, uh, what was he? He was Stargate. 
Did you see the movie Rotten Tail? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. Rotten Tail. He's the rabbit. Okay, I got you. I I have seen that movie. I've talked to the director. (laughs) Warren is an amazing actor and talent and artist and such a cool cat. But he wrote a kind of a lifetime movie, which is called Work to Death. And I think they're they're changing the title. But he wrote it, produced it, and allowed allowed me to star in it as this uh, true crime reporter. Mm. Uh, kind of a Lester Holt, Keith Morrison meets Nancy Grace Geraldo Rivera. So, you know, for me, it was just so much fun because I got to do my Keith Morrison. Oh, that pesky DNA. <laughs> you know, I had another scene where I'm kind of like Nancy Grace, like, you said you were going to be there and you're guilty. So the range that, you know, I got to play because I watch a lot of t- true crime, forensic files, Dateline. I love it. Uh, and I think Corin knew that, and so he's like, Kraus, that'll be coming out this this next year, kind of lifetime style movie. And so for me as an actor, it was so much fun. So much fun. <laughs> That's awesome, man. <laughs> I didn't know about the podcast. I'm gonna have to check it out. Check it out. It's it's really fun. We we walk through the show. If you're a fan of the show, we watch it, we talk about it, we break it down, we rate it as as well as we can and uh what seems to happen is each story has a subplot storyline you know last week that we talked about it was kind of a lot about dad issues and you know missing a father having a father there what you want him to be uh, with one of the things and so we kind of talked about how that structure works and what it meant to be the charmed ones in a family and Mm. you know you overcome something like that and that kind of just opened up in a whole nother discussion so then we get into this storyline thing or we just tend to go off the rails it's it's pretty fun <laughs> i'm definitely gonna check it out man well brian uh thank Thanks. you again man for giving me some of your time it's been a pleasure to get to talk with you and hopefully we'll do it again down the road or something yeah i appreciate it it's been a fun hour well thank you sir you go enjoy the rest of your evening i'm gonna get off here it's pouring down rain outside so i hope oh, the man. power doesn't it's cut off start already yeah <laughs> <laughs> It's getting dark here. Damn. Yeah, it's coming. <laughs> All right, All right see ya. Thank you, man. You have a good rest of your evening. All right, thank you. You too. All right, folks. That's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Brian. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll see you back next time. Monsters, madness, and magic. <laughs> Welcome to the night. You think you know Night Demon? Then the Night Demon Heavy Metal Podcast is for you. Step into the darkness as we peel back the curtain to give you an unprecedented, all-access look into the mind and the heart of the demon. We're talking band history, song analysis, studio anecdotes, stories from the road. It's everything a diehard Night Demon fan could want and more. This is the only place to learn the inside scoop the deep dive trivia, the untold tales from the band members themselves and those closest to the Night Demon story. Need more? The sacred Night Demon crypt will be pried open to reveal demo recordings that have never before seen the light of day. All with in-depth commentary by the band and the people who were there for the writing and recording process. This is a gold mine, a treasure trove of all things Night Demon. Head over to nightdemon.net or wherever you listen to podcasts.